Man, we are going to have an awesome day worshiping in God's Word today, man. Are you ready for God to do something? Yeah, that's good, man. I don't have to wonder because God is always ready to do something. So, man, let's get ready. Hey, let me ask you something. Uh, y'all remember the game show, Truth or Consequences? Yeah, man, that was wild. So, so this is just the way my brain works and why it takes so long for me to get a sermon together. For some reason, that came into my mind while I was preparing, and then I had to Google that. And it'd be wrong to Google it and not share some of it up with you. So uh, began on NBC Radio in 1940. I didn't realize it was that long. I remember when I was a kid, which tells something about my age, hit TV in the 50s. In 1950, you know, in 1957, it was the first show to appear in all time zones from a pre-recorded videotape. Ain't that wild? Trivia, you file that away, you'll use it later. It'll come up. I'm just telling you, God works like that. So the, the precept, if you're not my age or older, uh, is that the contestants would have to answer questions, right? They, they get a question, and they had to answer it correctly, but they got like a half a second to answer it, right? It really wasn't about them getting the question right, uh, because uh, they have to face the consequences, and usually that was some kind of crazy thing or some little crazy stunt that they had to do, and uh, they were pulled out of the audience, so they knew what they were getting into when they got there. They were wanting to get embarrassed. Um, but, you know, Bob Barker was the host back in the 60s and the 70s when I was watching it, and it was pretty cool. And uh, he had this sign-off. Every time he signed off of the show, he said, uh, anybody remember that? That'd be, like, amazing. You'd be, like, the truth or consequences bomb, man. No. Okay. I didn't either. Uh, had this sign-off on his show, and it says, hoping all your consequences are happy ones. Every show, the end of the show, hope all of your consequences are happy ones. And uh, truth, and truth or consequences is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, what happens when we turn from the truth and the consequences that follow? And that's what we're going to be digging into. So before we go any further, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I love you. I praise you. I praise you. <laughs> That where I can't, you can. Where I never could have, your son did. Gave himself as an offering on the cross for my sin. Paying the penalty that I could never pay. So I praise you, Lord. Yes, there are consequences. But that consequence has been paid in you. So, Lord, we just come before you right now and ask that you would uh, remove distractions. I pray that you would speak through me, remove me from this equation, that your word, word would go forth and return, accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a little, little quick review. Last week in like seven verses, J.D. covered when Adam and Eve turned from the truth and it was the temptation and fall of man. How crazy is that? Seven verses, everything changed. The serpent spoke. Satan cast doubt. Did God really say? Surely you won't die. Seems simple. Satan still works that way, though. He mixes uh, the truth and a lie together. He, he, he stirs them up. And the problem is a half-truth is still a whole lie. It's just been stirred up with a little bit of truth to make it taste better going down. 
Satan questions God's character and integrity, creating doubt and distrust of the one that you never have to doubt and that you can always trust. He tempts us by offering a cheap imitation of God's good gifts by appealing to uh, what, God, what Satan always appeals to, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Man, he doesn't need a whole lot of uh, different toolboxes to grab come from because we kind of fall for the same stuff over and over and over sometimes. Eve was deceived. She bought into the lie. But Adam chose sin. He wasn't deceived. He wasn't misled. He wasn't even misinformed. He had all the information. But Eve gave him the fruit, and he ate it. Adam knew what he was doing. He had made the choice to disobey God, and he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin was chosen over the truth. Man, and I'm telling you, all of creation is still reeling over the effects of that. In Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Right? They began to feel the weight of their rebellion against God and their sin. And that instant, everything was different, and they began to hide and cover themselves up. So I always try to have a little nutshell, kind of concise little bit of what this is about, what I want you to take away from it. And it got a little long this week, so you get the nutshell and the short version. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, I, gotta, I do the best I can. Here we go. And so in our scripture today, we're going to see that there's consequences of sin and there's consequences for sin. And I'll try to bring out a distinction there uh, because it's just kind of the way I saw it when I started studying through this passage. And sin entered into the world through Adam, but, but praise be to God in Jesus Christ, the penalty of sin is paid and the way to restoration has been provided. Is that, can I get a praise God for that? Amen, amen. Um, even as the consequences for sin from the curse remain until Jesus returns. So, so we've been, we have access to forgiveness and restoration, um, but man, the, the effects of sin, some of the effects of sin in the world, we still got to, we, we still in that, right? So here's our short version, and this one might be easier to hold on to. We have victory in Jesus, stick with the truth, and stand. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We are victorious. We don't have it all now. Nonetheless, we are. Stick with the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Stick to the truth and stand. So let's look through the consequences of sin. And we're looking at uh, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Sin brings some things with it. It brings shame. It brings fear. It brings hiding. It brings blaming. Verse 8 through 10 said this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord their God. Among the, uh, Lord God, among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I, because I was naked, and I hid. Man, we see a couple of things right through these first few verses. So the first, uh, uh, it shows us that God still has a desire to have fellowship with us. Man, God, it, what have you done? What have you done? Man, God still wants to have fellowship with you. But it also shows us why we're afraid of having that fellowship and we tend to turn away. We're afraid and we're ashamed and we hide. You see, Adam and Eve, they knew that God would be wanting to talk and walk with them in the cool of the day. But the shame of sin had broken fellowship with God and replaced it with fear and hiding. Just like it has with us. We know we can't live up to God's standard, right? Only Jesus could do that, so out of fear we hide. Man, don't miss that God knew that they had sinned. Yet he still came down to walk with them. God still wanted fellowship with them. Just like he does with us. Man, some fig leaves stitched together didn't take away the shame of sin or their fear of facing God. All sin brings with it shame and fear, causing us to go into hiding, not only from God, but from man. That inclination to, to hide, to, to cover up, comes from our sin, our sin nature. But here's the thing, you can't hide from God. He already knows your sin even so, he loves you unconditionally. Adam and Eve, hiding failed, both in getting away from God or to alleviate their shame and their fear. Man, you may feel that you've gone too far for him to reach you, but he's near. All you have to do is reach out to him. So God asked some questions, and he, he's trying to draw them back to him. God always gives us an opportunity. He always gives us an opportunity to confess and turn back. Listen to verse 11. It says, and he, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, God offered Adam that opportunity to uh, confess, to repent, to take responsibility. He gave Adam the chance to man up. 
Man up, Adam. What happened? Where are you? I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You know what he should have said? He said, I'm hiding because I've sinned and I am so sorry. I am so sorry. That was the right answer. Man, I don't know where you're at today, but you can pull out naked and plug in whatever it is that makes you think that you've done too much or gone too far for God to forgive you. Man, quit hiding from God and run to Him. Confess your sin. Repent of it. That means you turn from it. You don't keep doing that thing. And be covered by Jesus' sacrificial death and His resurrection and be restored to God into a relationship that will absolutely transform your life. All that crap you can't get away from, God will change that. may not happen overnight. But in Christ, we can. Man, hiding our sin out of shame and fear is not the answer. It's repentance that will bring you freedom. So the consequences of fear, of sin, shame and fear and hiding, and oh, so much blaming, huh? In Genesis 3.12, it says, The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I mean, come on now. Adam's going to blame God first. The woman you put here with me? I mean, you made her. You know, don't look at me. I didn't make that woman. You know, I mean, I don't say this in the Bible, but don't you know he's thinking, you know, at least you could have done this. Gave me a woman that listened to me. I told her once not to mess with that tree. Well, God did give Adam a woman that would listen to her. But when the chips were down, Adam didn't say nothing. He just shut up. Then he blames Eve. Just, just in case blaming, blaming God didn't fly. Eve's the one that had given it to me. And hey, get this, man. She had already bid it. So it's not like she gave it to me and like, yeah, you think we should do this? No, nah, man, she'd already bid it. Excuses and blame, 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 blame. And here, here's a freebie for the guys. So if you take notes, go and get your pen out. It's kind of short. Uh, if you're not going to man up, shut up. All right? Man up or shut up. One or the other. Don't do both. Don't keep talking after you've already dropped the ball. Man, Adam should have just quit. Adam wasn't deceived. He may have been tempted by his own evil desires or for whatever his reasoning was. He chose not to lead Eve away from temptation, but went along with it even though he knew it was sin. Man, and that's why Paul was able to say in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Men, I want to talk to you for just one more second. This isn't a Father's Day message or a men's message, but it's important. When we don't take our role as the spiritual leader and protector of our homes seriously and lead our families to take a stand against the devil and flee from temptation, it takes men from being the fierce warriors that God designed us to be and turns us into foolish entertainment for the devil. 
Man, that's what we are when we don't stand up and stand out. You and your family become low-hanging fruit, easily picked off by the devil, and sent spiraling into the consequences of sin. Men, we got to stand up. we got a country right now that's starving for men, for godly men to stand up and fulfill their role that God has called us to do. It ain't about keeping women down. It's about lifting God up. Men, lead your wife and teach your families the truth of God's word. Live in an intimate relationship with God and with each other so when temptation comes your way, you don't hang out long enough for it to take root and grow into sin. That's what happens. We sit there and temptation comes and we start playing with it in our head. And the next thing you know, we're falling down in a hole. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Temptation isn't a toy to be played with. It's a fire to flee from. Man, you take a stand against the devil's schemes, but when temptation comes along and it's sitting there playing in your ear, run from it. Cast it away from you. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you a way to hang out and be all right and think about it. I'm providing you with a way of escape. Take it. That you may be able to endure it. Now, Eve, in Genesis 3.13, when the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Now, now, that was a good answer. Adam should have liked, well, God didn't ask Eve first because Adam's the one that's supposed to have been leading. But Eve gave a better answer. Now, uh, it doesn't excuse the sin, right? We've been talking about it a lot since we went through Romans. Romans one twenty five teaches us that to change the truth for a lie is the sin. And that's what she did. She had heard the truth. Adam had told her what God told him, but she liked the sound of the lie better than the truth. So she took the apple and she bit it, or whatever fruit it is. Sin, shame, fear, hiding, blaming. Man, that's the cycle of sin you find yourself in, especially if Jesus Christ isn't the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. You may not identify it as that. But that's what it is. The mud and the muck that we roll around in doesn't satisfy. And eventually it'll make you sick and kill you if you let it. As Christ followers, we've been freed from that. But we can still struggle and pick it back up again. Amen? Anybody been there? 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. 
But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Man, it can happen. Man, we can't lose our salvation. Man, if you're saved, you are God's child, and you're going to spend an eternity with him. But he sure can, Satan sure can jack up what God wants to do with you while you're here in this earth and steal your joy. Man, we all sin, but when we sin, we can still give glory to God by openly confessing and repenting of our sin without shifting the blame on somebody else. Forgiveness and restoration occurs, and sin loses its power to cause shame and fear and hiding and blaming and separation when we just confess it. Man, tell God, tell a brother so you've got somebody that can hold you, or a sister that can hold you accountable that loves you enough to share the truth in love. So there's consequences of sin, and there are consequences for sin. And that's in the context of our text, verses 14 through 19, is the curse and sin's effect on all of creation. So Adam and Eve had made their choice to sin, and now God tells them his response. Right? As a holy God, he could only respond according to his perfect moral nature. There would be consequences for sin. Their sin set in motion the mankind's tendency toward disobeying God. The sin nature had been implanted into every person since from the fall of man through Adam. And we're going to see that two curses follow man's sin. There's a, there's a curse on the serpent, Satan, and there's a curse on the ground, on the earth. And the effects of the curse are not going to be fully resolved until Christ returns. There's going to be a time when all this junk is over with, and it's going to be awesome. But that ain't today. It could be today. (laughs) Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19, it says, So God begins with the serpent. Uh, He says, uh, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there's, there's kind of a twofold understanding of these verses. Uh, even the physical manifestation of Satan, the serpent, uh, he didn't escape unscathed, did he? The serpent was changed. Now, now we don't know what he looked like before the curse, right? It wasn't something that scared Eve away, apparently. Uh, but after the curse, it crawls on its belly, and every time it sticks out its forked little tongue, it gets a mouthful of dust, all right? So even the snake didn't get about uh, unscathed. Uh, so, so do this. Every time you see a snake, or if, Kelly, where are you at? Every time you have a nightmare about a snake, uh, she's really scared of snakes. Um, man, let it be a reminder of the fall of man and the outcome of yielding to temptation and the, de- the danger of listening to the devil's lies. Man, I like snakes. Grew up with them for pets. But since I've studied through this, I'm probably not going to look at them the same. Let it be a reminder, just like the rainbow is the reminder that God will never flood the earth and destroy all of his creation again through a flood. Man, see, let that snake be a reminder of the cost of sin. 
And verse 15, or verse 15 always points out the perpetual struggle between Satan and mankind. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now, whether you recognize it or not, you're in a spiritual war. And the thing of it is, not every voice in your head is the Lord. Uh, Satan is still casting doubt and telling lies. Man, there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm, and it's a battle that's going on in your mind with Satan tempting you to choose lies over the truth of God's Word. He's always trying to keep you from living life, living your life the way God designed you to live, and to keep you from filling the purpose which he designed you to fulfill. And verse 15 also points out the battle between Satan and the ultimate seed of the woman, Jesus. He said, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The Lord God was saying that through Sa though Satan will bruise Jesus' heel, Jesus will crush Satan's head. Man, sin fractured all of creation and crippled our relationship with God and with each other. Jesus felt the weight of our sin when he paid the penalty for our sin as our perfect sacrifice. Satan bruised his heel, but on the third day, he rose again, and he was victorious, and Jesus crushed Satan's head. Man, we are victorious in Jesus Christ. Now, now scholars call this the uh, proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first and evangelium meaning the gospel. So the first gospel, the first proclamation of Jesus coming in the Bible comes in chapter 3 of Genesis. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that God did just to make up for Adam and Eve messing up. It was his plan. The good news that Jesus would come as a perfect sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. In Christ, we have victory over sin's control. Sin and Satan doesn't have, to doesn't have control over you if Jesus does. There's a distinction. Let me say that again. Satan and sin doesn't have control over you if Jesus does. If Jesus doesn't have control of you, if you haven't surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ and living in obedience to him, man, it's, I mean, you still struggle, but boy, it's going to be a whole lot harder. There's always a battle for control. There's always a battle for control. Man, we still suffer with the consequences for sin. In verse 16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing bearing very severe. Uh, anybody want to speak to that? Uh, not in childbirth, in childbearing. I mean, the whole process. You're, you're growing up a watermelon-sized child inside of you. Anybody, anybody had no pains in severe? I want to know nothing about that. I'm just saying, that's just disturbing. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and childbirth, because just in case childbearing wasn't bad enough, y'all got to give birth to that watermelon. Uh, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, I don't want to make light of this, but I had a chihuahua when I was a kid that gave birth. <laughs> 
and he was not, she was not. <laughs> it was a female chihuahua giving birth. She was not screaming for an epidural when it was too late, all right? She just laid there. Baby started popping out. She had nine of them. I know it. Aren't you glad humans don't have that many babies, ladies? Giraffe. You know how a giraffe gives birth? Yeah. He's like, er, don't land on your head. They're like six feet. Plop. You all right? Good. That kind of pain that women go through, through childbearing and childbirth, is an effect of sin. It's part of the curse. It's a consequence for sin coming into the world. God designed, for, designed man and women to be perfectly suited for each other. God's design was perfect. But there were consequences for sin that are still in place due to our sinful nature. And yes, suffering and childbirthing, labor, delivery for women would be painful. And then it says women's desire for her husband. And really, really what it's speaking to is that women would have a desire for his role in the marital relationship. The woman would desire to rule over her husband, but he will have rule over her. Sorrow, pain, relational discord. Husbands and wives are to be united as one. Yet sin's effect causes discord and disunity. When we rebel against God and don't follow his design, we suffer the consequences. In verse 17, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will, eat, you will eat food from it for all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since, it, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Man, work's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Where, where in the garden everything produced fruit and food good to eat it. Thorns and thistles are being produced. No longer the abundant provision of the garden. Work will be long and be hard until the day that you die. Now Adam, he took on the weight of the curse of the ground because he was the head not only of the white life, but he was the first. He was uh, the head of all humankind. With Adam's sin, the paradise God created for them, it became a hostile wilderness to live in, and we still live in it now. All from choosing disobedience over obedience to God. So Adam and Eve experienced the first application of the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. We've talked about that, right? What we, we reap what we sow. Uh, we reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. See, that, that's truth, see, because God follows through on all of his promises and his warnings. Right? We reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow, and we reap later than we sow. We like that when it's something positive. It's a promise of God, but it's true for his warnings. His laws are there to protect us, not keep us from having a good time. Romans 
5.12 says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Even though Eve took the bite first, it's Adam who chose it, who chose sin, uh, that brought sin into the world. God held Adam accountable. The Bible Knowledge Commentary wrote regarding this section. It said that the, effect of, the effects of sin are punishment and provision. Whereas the man and the woman had life, now they had death. Whereas pleasure, now pain. Whereas abundance, now meager subsistence by toil. Whereas perfect fellowship, now alienation and conflict. The motifs in chapter 3, death, toil, sweat, thorns, the tree, the struggle, and the seed were all later traced to Christ. He is the other Adam who became the curse and who sweat great drops of blood in bitter agony, who wore the crown of thorns, who was hanged on a tree until he was dead and who was placed in the dust of the earth. Man, our sin and their consequences were placed on Jesus. And on the third day, though, he arose from the dead. He defeated Satan's sin in the grave. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus, as the Lord of our life and the Savior of our soul, we are restored in our relationship to God. He bore our sins and our shame and our guilt, and we don't have to hide or cast blame anymore. This is the good news that was proclaimed when God said, He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel in verse 15. And I really just kind of want to read through this. And I, I want to read through uh, Romans chapter 5. And I won't read the whole thing. But I just want you to listen to God's word and let it speak to you. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Man, we're still going to have to go through some stuff. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own great love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? For the sin of, one, of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who will receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. 
because one person disobeyed, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. That's our God. At the end of this age, when Jesus returns, not as a sacrificial lamb, but as a conquering king, to rule and to reign, man, all that is wrong will be made right. Sin will cease, and Satan's time of stealing and killing and destroying will be over. And at that time, as it says in Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11, it says that that. That, the, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, that day's coming. That day's coming. Man, and at that time, we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. At that time, it'll be too late to make a decision. Will you have received forgiveness for your sin by faith in Jesus as Lord of your life and as the Savior of your soul? Will you be covered by his sacrifice and God's grace? Man, if that's truth for you, man, give glory to God by dying to yourself and living your life by faith in obedience to Jesus Christ. Man, that's what the world needs to see. Christians who look like Christ. Or will he say, depart from me, I never knew you. Man, if you're in the sound of my voice today, whether you're here or online, man, there's still time to receive the grace and the forgiveness that God offers. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts, but respond. We have to respond. And man can come on up. Too often we put off what we need to do. Procrastinate. I'm pretty good at it. This isn't that time. We have a decision to make every single day. Whether we're going to live for Jesus Christ and have impact and influence for his kingdom. Or we live for the world and bring shame to his name. And if you're a follower of Jesus, choose the first. We're always having influence. Man, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, man, I've heard a lot of people, I've said it, I wish I'd have come to the Lord sooner. I've never heard one say, man, this is kind of bad. I don't wish I'd done that. You know why? Because God is good and his love is perfect and his plan is perfect for you. And you need to be living that starting today. Don't put off today because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I praise you. Thank you for your son that created the avenue for eternal life with you. But even greater than that, brought victory for us even today. So I thank you. I praise you for that, Lord. Move in hearts right now. Lord, for those you're speaking to now that, that they're just not sure or they're just afraid. Lord, still their hearts and give them the boldness to stand and come forward or grab the person beside them and say, I want to live for Jesus. I want to give my life to him. There's no greater decision that you will ever make. 
move, Lord, here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to pray with you. Or you can grab somebody beside you that you know is a follower of Jesus Christ and pray with them. But do business with God. Don't miss out when God is working and put off for tomorrow what you might not have the time to do. Jesus loves you, and he wants to be back in a relationship with you so much. Let him work and let him move in your life.